It's a real joy to be here in Denver, or in Sioux Falls. <laughs> I'm sorry, brethren. <laughs> I've really enjoyed the messages on the Holy Spirit, and I have to confess to you my profound or extreme, maybe it's a better word, extreme ignorance in this case. Uh, I almost feel ashamed as I listen to some of the messages and how little I actually know about this third member of the triune Godhead and how much more I should study. I was uh, taken back a few years as I heard Pastor Castlander and Pastor Johnson mention Luke chapter 11, and it brought back a very vivid memory to me. I was saved in the charismatic movement. Uh, the Lord definitely overruled to some degree there, and I was able to hear the gospel uh, to the degree that I was able to trust Christ as my Savior. And I remember very definitely at that time, as far as I can recall, I wasn't saved as far as I can recall. At the time, I was taken into a, a room in the back of a Catholic church. By the way, the charismatic meetings were being held at St. Sylvester's in the uh, back auditorium of the Catholic church. And uh, the church apparently was uh, sympathetic to the movement. By the way, charismatic movement is basically Roman Catholic, so uh, I see no real problems with that now. I understand that. But I was taken in, uh, into the back of the room or in the auditorium, where they had the baptism of the Holy Spirit room. And there we all held hands, and uh, we prayed, and I was very ignorant. I wanted to know what the Word of God said, but I really knew nothing. And uh, as we prayed, I fell into a, I can't understand it really, a kind of a trance almost. Uh, the young man came up to me, and I uh, started to speak some kind of gibberish, or I, I didn't even understand what I was doing myself. And everybody started rejoicing about this, and uh, they, I guess they were saying, you got it there, you got it. And, uh, and uh, after I finished this, I, it was really strange. Uh, I had a, a sensation, I can't explain this really, but it paralleled a time when I did some... Uh, drugs, some chemicals, back in uh, when I was into the drug culture somewhat, and it terrified me. I was afraid. It was like I was going on a trip, and I ran to uh, one of the counselors and told him I, I thought that this was supposed to be, uh, I thought this was supposed to be the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, or I thought this was supposed to be from God. But yet I, I'm receiving these exper this, this, this experience that I had when I was on drugs. And I didn't know nothing of the word at the time, really. And the counselor turned me to Luke 11. He showed me Luke 11. He said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And he asked me, Did you ask for the Holy Spirit? And I says, Yes. He says, Is your Father going to give you something wrong then? or something evil. I had no answer to that. No answer. And so the charismatic movement is very dangerous. Um, I feel that many people are ignorant of the scriptures. They simply don't have the answer. The poor folks, how my heart goes out to them. They don't know the scriptures. They're deceived. 
just like I was. And so how we need to thank God today for our deliverance, don't we? All of us see the grace message solely by grace. There's no good thing in us. I fought the grace message, but as I delved into the truth, I couldn't argue. And the Holy Spirit shows us the truth, doesn't he? We have a lot to be thankful for. Shall we bow in a moment of prayer? Our Father, how we thank Thee for the great deliverance You have wrought in us in the day that You showed us that we were the sinner for whom Christ died. And our Father, how we thank Thee now for the Word of God that continues to set us free as we learn more of grace doctrine and as we learn and understand more of the Word of God rightly divided. We pray, Father, as we open the Word of God today, that you would open our hearts, that we might receive a real blessing from it. For we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I understand I have around 45 minutes, so I'll try to stay punctual here. The topic that the uh, committee has assigned me is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit then and now. And we'll try to follow this as closely as possible. I couldn't correlate the scriptures that they gave me uh, exactly, I, I tried to write for an explanation on this, but I didn't receive it. So I, uh, the, I think Brother Thurman told me to go along the lines that I saw fit on this, and so I, I tried to do that. But before we uh, give you our outline here, let me first of all give you a few basic facts that I think we need to understand uh, to set the background here before going into our message. First of all, the word convict, or reprove, as it is used in John 16, 8, means to uh, disgrace, to put to shame. And hence of persons, it means to convince or to refute and to put to shame by proving one wrong. Conviction, uh, of course, especially in regards to the Holy Spirit, deals mainly with sin. And in Romans 3.23 it tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so it is the work of the Spirit uh, to reprove and to convict mankind as to how far they have fallen short. Now I remember when I was first saved, uh, I was told that there is an edge here, or a cliff, and you place all men that have ever lived and all the men that are alive today and all the men that, are, uh, that ever shall live, place them all on this cliff here. And on the other side of the Grand Canyon, place God. And the illustration is given, of course, that some men jump out 20 feet. They go to church every week, and they're uh, as good as they possibly can be. Others, uh, like you and I, live a halfway life. We jump out 5 feet, and others, they criminals and murderers, and they jump out one foot or lay on the side. And thus illustrating the point that no matter how good you are, no one can jump to the other side. But you know, as I thought about this, I think, I think there's a fallacy here. I think the gap between men and God is infinite uh, in as far as their falling short comes. I don't think there are any that have even jumped out 20 feet. I think all of mankind lays dead on the edge of the cliff. There's no one that's even jumping out 20 feet in regards to God's infinite righteousness, you see. The matter here uh, that needs to be stressed nowadays 
uh, in our campaigns of I Found It uh, and all of these other new evangelical tactics. They're trying to raise man up to a point that somehow he can attain unto God by some effort of his own. And I asked the question, who was lost in this campaign of I Found It? Was it God that was lost or was it man that was lost? And so the Holy Spirit here, I believe, points out by the Word of God and convicts mankind as to their uh, extreme falling short of the glory and majesty of God. And as our brother Baker pointed out yesterday, this needs to be stressed, that God is holy, God is just, God is perfect, and men have fallen uh, extremely short of this. So short that they haven't even lifted a finger, really. And this is what needs to be stressed. As our brother Harland has pointed out, men need to hear the bad news before they hear the good news, that there is no hope apart from Christ. God, the Holy Spirit, as far as I understand it, uh, always convicts mankind on the grounds of three basic things. Number one, the physical creation. Number two, the conscience. And number three, uh, His Holy Word. These three things are the three basic elements that the Holy Spirit uses to convict all of mankind, past, present, and future. And it's interesting that all three of these points are found in the book of Romans. Creation, Romans 1, 19 through 20. Conscience, Romans 2, 14 through 15. And God's Word, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. It's also interesting that Paul says, By my gospel, Romans 2, 16, all men will be judged. And so the three basic elements whereby the Holy Spirit judges all of mankind are found in Paul's epistle to the Romans, also the universal death in Adam, uh, all salvation by grace. All of these points are found in Paul's revelation. And it's interesting that Paul says, by my gospel, all of mankind will be judged, and rightfully so, because his gospel contains the basis whereby the Holy Spirit has, does, and will reprove mankind. Another point that we need to stress before moving on to our outline, and these are all just basic facts, is that conviction does not always lead to salvation. Very important to see this. Conviction does not always lead uh, to salvation. And... uh, Of course, we know that there are many that fall under conviction. There are many that hear the Word of God and reject it. The majority do. And there are a few that do receive uh, the Word of truth. But because a man is convicted, does not necessarily mean that he will receive Christ as his Savior. Because a man is reproved, does not mean that he will be saved. And here I need to uh, just give my own personal viewpoint on this because I think some of the other brethren have done it, but I won't labor uh, the point. I feel that there are two basic callings, the outward and the inward calling. The outward calling, many here, uh, and the majority reject. But the inward calling, when God calls on to salvation, as he opened the heart of Lydia, 
I believe, very few receive. Now, that's as I understand the scriptures. I think Romans 8, uh, 29, I believe it is, called unto salvation, to me there, uh, is referring to the moment of salvation, the inward calling. And so you see here, the Holy Spirit reproves many, but this does not always mean that they are saved. The high majority of people are not. Now let's move on to our outline for our message. We're going to take a look at three points uh, this afternoon. Point number one, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit before the dispensation of the law. Point number two, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit during the dispensation of law. And point number three, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit during the dispensation of grace. Now, we're not going to be able to go into much detail here on this, because this is a pretty general uh, overview of the work of the Holy Spirit. But we want to start basically uh, around the fall of man and take us up to today. And take a look at the convicting, the reproving work of the Holy Spirit and how it has changed up to this dispensation. So let's start out with point number one. Before the dispensation of law, how did the Holy Spirit reprove during the patriarchal dispensation? And uh, I believe Dr. Bollinger has a more accurate description there on the dispensations, and that's why I go along with calling it a patriarchal dispensation. I think that's more accurate to the definition of a dispensation. Uh, God was dealing with mankind as a whole uh, from the fall of Adam to uh, Israel, or to the calling out of Israel. He was dealing with mankind and as a whole, and we refer to this as the patriarchal dispensation. Uh, we have a period of about 1,750 years in which there was no written law. Uh, some say possibly Job was written at this time, and so I'll add with the exception of Job. But as far as I know, uh, this is just speculation. I think we can say essentially that there was no written word of God from the fall of Adam to Moses. And so we need to ask the question, how then was the Holy Spirit reproving? How was he convicting at this time? Okay, and so we need to uh, go back into the Word of God, and we'll just give you a few references here. We find from the fall of Adam uh, to Moses that there was indeed a God-ordained sacrificial system whereby men could uh, approach unto God. Dr. Bullinger is very good in outlining this in uh, How to Enjoy the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> I think it is pink. It is very good in this and gleanings in Genesis. We don't agree with everything our brother says in many cases, but uh, his commentary on Genesis here is excellent as far as I, uh, I'm concerned. Uh, it says, by faith, in Hebrews 11.4, uh, Abel brought his sacrifice by faith. And here again, we, here we already see the uh, bringing of a sacrifice uh, onto the Lord, an approach onto the Lord, of course, pointing uh, to the sacrificial lamb of Calvary. We see God's way, and we see man's way already uh, in Cain and in Abel. We see the establishment of God's way. We see the establishment of religion here in the early chapters of Genesis. There were certain persons that had... <clears throat> Special positions. Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God, we see in Genesis 14, 18. 
heads of families acted as priests for those particular families. Genesis 8.20, Genesis 35.7, before the uh, Aaronic uh, or the priesthood of Aaron, we have basically the heads of the families acting as priests for the families. We see this is true with uh, Jacob and others. There were preachers and prophets in this time. In 2 Peter 2.5, we see Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And what is righteousness but the perfect standard of God? And when the standard of God is preached, you have reproof. Because you have the standard of God, and you have man, and there is a chasm in between. So whenever the standard of God is preached, and that's what Noah evidently preached. I don't know exactly what he preached, but he was a preacher of righteousness. There is immediately a ministry of reproof and conviction. Because men are shown how far they fall from God's perfect standard. In Genesis 27, 20, verse 7, Abraham is referred to as a prophet. And we see in Jude 14, and turn with me uh, to the book of Jude, if you will. Jude, verses 14 and 15, there's only one chapter in this small epistle, and yet... A very key epistle. Jude verses 14 and 15. And Enoch also, or to these also, let's look at verse 13. I think it ties it in a little more clearly. Raging waves of the sea foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And I wonder if there isn't a reference there to the fallen angels uh, before the flood. And Enoch, to these also, uh, would be probably the better rendering here, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh, or came, uh, with ten thousands of his saints or holy ones or angels here, as Dr. Bullinger points out. Why? To execute judgment upon all and to what? Convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so you see here, uh, even in this time period, during the patriarchal dispensation, you have Enoch prophesying and warning uh, others. I don't really know if there was uh, much of an escape for some of these. Maybe they have gone past the point of no return. But here Enoch evidently knew uh, somewhat of God's program. I don't know how much of it he understood. But he prophesied, he foretold God's message, and he said, The Lord will come in his revelation with thousands of his holy ones, pouring forth judgment. See? And so, you see here, even before the law, that there is a God-ordained system. And we don't have time to go into too much detail here, but again, there's some good writings on this. There are prophets. There are preachers. And there is definitely a system whereby the Holy Spirit is able to reprove and convict mankind and to shame them, to disgrace of how far they have fallen short. 
There's also another viewpoint which I find very interesting, and I'm sure uh, many of you have considered it, and that's the viewpoint that Dr. Bullinger brings out on the witness of the stars here. He says that before the written word, uh, there was a word of God revealed in the constellations. And this is something you might want to consider. I find it very interesting myself. Uh, I don't think we can prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I think there's some real credence in it. Turn with me over to Psalm 19, if you will. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. And here we see what seems to be a reference to this system that God established in the constellations that uh, we pass through every 12 months of the year. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare, or re, the word here should be repeatedly rehearse, the glory of God. And the firmament showeth, or is setting forth, his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. And the word for, for uttereth means to tell forth or prophesy. <clears throat> day unto day prophesieth speech. And night unto night showeth knowledge or information. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words or their teachings or sayings to the end of the world. And so you see here in the first half of this chapter, we have the revelation of God in the stars, and in the second half of this chapter, we have the revelation of God in His written word. I think it's pretty conclusive here that God had a system established in the constellations uh, because the earth passed, <clears throat> not through the constellations, but the earth circled the sun in such a manner that every month uh, the earth was in a position whereby the folks upon the earth could see a different constellation every month. And we won't go into much detail on this, but Bullinger uh, points out that possibly this is referring to God's redemptive plan written in the stars. And you'll find records of this in all civilizations, uh, as I understand history. Uh, in Job 26.13, uh, let's just look over there quickly. Just one more reference on this. And again, we're just throwing out some things here for your uh, study. Probably most of you have already considered this. Job 26.13 By his spirit... He hath garnished or beautified the heavens. Notice how the Lord did this, by the Spirit. And again, I believe it is the Spirit who does the reproving in all dispensations. His hand hath formed what? The crooked serpent. See? And again, a reference here possibly to the constellation. And so the point we want to make here is that before the dispensation of law, from the fall of Adam to the calling out of Israel during the patriarchal dispensation, there is a system whereby the Holy Spirit is able to reprove and convict mankind and show them essentially how far they have fallen short of God's perfect standard. Now let's move on to point number two. During the law, how did the Holy Spirit convict and reprove the world during the law? Now, with the Gentiles corporately cast aside at the Tower of Babel, 
And uh, with God calling out Abraham and with the formation of a new nation, Israel, God, the Holy Spirit, is now going to move into a new phase of conviction and reproof. And with the giving of the Mosaic Law, you have now the giving of the written word. And we're now going to move into a phase of extreme reproof and conviction. And later on with the Apostle Paul, we find out that it is a ministry of condemnation, extreme condemnation. And so now the Holy Spirit moves into a a phase of ministry whereby the world will be uh, reproved and convicted to the nth degree and brought right to the brink of judgment. The law, remember, was parenthetical. And it was added for several reasons. And we're going to take a look at them today. But from the viewpoint of the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons the law was added was to bring not only Israel, but also the world to the point of judgment. Uh, To indeed show them that they were getting and will get what they deserve. And I think we'll be able to see this from the Scriptures. In the Mosaic Law, you have an intricate and a detailed system pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we know this now from the Apostle Paul. But you have God's holy standard laid down in no uncertain terms. Uh, in the, you have men that are called out as priests, prophets, and kings for God that declare His message boldly and in no uncertain terms. You have men that are energized by the Holy Spirit specifically uh, to proclaim the Word of God. And I find no indication of this, uh, really, until uh, Israel. Of course, I'm sure, though, that Enoch and others also were energized by the Holy Spirit. But specifically with Israel, we have some uh, specific uh, information on it in the Sanhedrin. Let me just give you a few references. Uh, Here we have men that were directly energized. The Holy Spirit came upon them and energized them for specific uh, services, as our pastor mentioned. And let me give you uh, some references. I'll probably be repeating the ones that he gave, but I'm sure that's okay. The Sanhedrin, Numbers 11, verses 16, 17, 25, and 29. And pastor covered that this morning. Judges, he empowered the judges. Judges 3, verse 10. Chapter 6, verse 34. Chapter 15, verse 14. He empowered the kings. 1 Samuel 11, verse 6. Chapter 16, verse 13. On top of all of this, there was miracle after miracle. There was, read the book of Judges, tremendous miracles. God used the base things of this world to confound the wise. Samson slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. And it was miracle after miracle that was shown unto these stiff-necked and hardened-hearted Israelites. Couldn't have shown them any greater miracles. It was spread throughout the land. The Red Sea was opened and their deliverance was tremendous. They spent 40 years in the wilderness and never had to change their shoes. And I'm talking about the desert. Supernatural deliverance. Manna from heaven. And as our one brother pointed out, if you could collect that manna that was given in one day, you could fill something like 20 or 30 uh, cars on a train. Fill them to the brim with manna. So much was poured forth every day for Israel. How God loved His people. 
and manifested his goodness to Israel. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And beloved, the, uh, the Jew being a race or a people today is one of the greatest proofs of the Bible and of Jehovah's love to his people. But look with me now to Acts chapter 7, verses 51 and 52. In spite of all of this, in spite of a system whereby the Holy Spirit could reprove and convict Israel and and all of the world, as we will soon see. In spite of all of this, we read a very sad account in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 and 52. Acts 7, verse 51. Here Stephen says, Ye stiff-necked, And uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the Just One, of whom ye have been or became now the betrayers and the murderers. And so you see here, uh, the Israelites rejected the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He reproved them. He convicted them. He wooed them. And yet they rejected it. Over and over they rejected it until finally the Lord Jesus Christ Himself was nailed to Calvary's cross. Beloved, God is bringing out the depth of the wicked human heart. And He's setting the stage for judgment. But he's also setting the stage now for grace. Two things. God is establishing or setting the stage for the upcoming judgment, but he's going to also be setting the stage now for a secret program, the dispensation of grace. And I'm sure glad I'm alive today, aren't you? We see that there were at least two main reasons for the giving of the law. And again, we need to add that the law was parenthetical. It was added according to Galatians 3.19. And two of the main reasons for the giving of the law are as follows. Number one, it prepared the way for the Messiah. It was given to set the groundwork for and to prepare the way for the coming of Christ. Uh, Christ was born under the law, number one. Number two, he fulfilled the law. And number three, he ended the law for all that believe. And number two, as we have pointed out, also... The giving of the law was given, or the, yes, the giving of the law through Moses was given to Israel and for the earth to ripen the world for judgment. Now turn with me over to John chapter 16. And here we find our uh, portion that was assigned to us. And as I started reading this, I found some interesting things that I discussed with Pastor Thurman, and I'll just share them with you here. I'm Uh, Not exactly certain on this, but I think at a pastor's conference we can kind of throw out some viewpoints, can't we? So I'll take some liberty to do that here. John 16, uh, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove, and there's our word, convict, bring in guilty, what? The world. And I believe this world here to be all men without exception. The entire world, every single Gentile nation, 
along with Israel, will be reproved and convicted of sin. Remember, this is to the nth degree. This happens right after Calvary. And of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And there is a very real sense in which the Holy Spirit is doing this today. There is a real sense in which he is convicting men of how they have rejected Christ. There's no doubt about that. But I believe the word world here means all men without exception. And if this is the case, uh, then there has to be a very real sense in which this took place at another time and will take place in the future. Because it is evident that all men without exception are not being reproved of these facts today. We know that's true. We know there are millions of men and women and children that die all around the world that never heard of Christ, never knew they rejected Him. Is that not true? So this must be referring in a, in a special way uh, to another event. I believe this is referring here specifically to Pentecost. And uh, I think it will refer also specifically to the millennium. Because at Pentecost, and uh, let's turn over uh, to Acts 2, verses, verse 37, we see that there were uh, some real results as far as the preaching of Peter uh, goes, and there were many that were brought into the kingdom church here. But from our reference here in John 16, Christ is referring specifically uh, to an event that would take place after Calvary. You see, remember, the law was given uh, to ripen the world for judgment. I was given for other purposes, too, to establish the way for the Messiah, uh, to set the stage for grace. But we're looking specifically here at the ministry of reproof by the Holy Spirit. So the law was added to ripen the world, to bring it to that point of Calvary. The Gentiles already have been set aside. Israel now is the only hope of the world, the only hope of the world. And now uh, it's coming to the crucial point. Will Israel receive the kingdom or will they not? And it's very evident from Isaiah that they will not. This is not a, a secret. It's the duration of Israel's blindness that was the secret, not their rejection of Messiah and kingdom. And so we see in Acts 2, verse 37, that there definitely is a small group, and really it is small when compared to national Israel, that does uh, receive here the inward calling, as I see it. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked or pierced through in their heart. There's the inward calling. Many had received the outward calling before, uh, but here a special inward calling leading to salvation. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So there are a few that are saved. But we see from the account in Israel, that, I mean in Acts, that Israel as a whole rejects the kingdom offer. And now look with me over to Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 19. And I think Paul spells this out. Uh, Brother Thurman pointed this out to me initially, and I thought on it somewhat. It uh, seemed to make sense to me. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. And Weiss gives a good illustration on this also. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, 
Now, who was under the law? Of course, Israel was. Uh, and every mouth, that every mouth, may be stopped, and all the world may be brought in guilty before God. So there is a very real sense in which John 16 was fulfilled at Pentecost and with the stoning of Stephen when Israel, the world's only last hope, rejected the final offer. And in that they rejected it, the whole world was brought in guilty because they were the only last representatives that, had, that the world had any hope. They, these were, this was the last hope for the world. Wiesk gives a very good illustration here. He says there's a farmer that has 50 acres of land. And he, the land is, is bad, it's poor. And he chooses the very best acre of land that he has. And he cultivates it, he fertilizes it, and he plants his crops. But yet when the harvest comes, there is no crop. What does the farmer conclude then? That not only is the acre bad, but that his whole acreage is bad. And so you see here, Israel, the last hope for the world, rejected Messiah, rejected the Holy Spirit, rejected the kingdom offer. And so the whole world was brought in guilty. The Gentiles were cast aside at Babel, but now the law had been added. Even Israel, the last hope for the world, was now set aside as a nation. The stage was now set for the 70th week of Daniel, Judgment was ready to be poured forth. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit went to its brink. It convicted the world in Israel. And everything was, everything was set now for the judgment of God. But now that brings us to point number three. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit under grace. God had a secret program, didn't He? And I thank God that He did. Judgment should have fell upon the wicked, on this wicked planet. But instead, uh, God, of course, we all know this very well, reached down and saved his chief persecutor, Saul, and brought in a brand new dispensation. Not only had the world been set for judgment, not only had the world been reproved in a very real sense when Israel was set aside, but now the stage is wide open for a brand new dispensation to come in, the secret administration of grace. And that's point number three that we're going to just take a look at briefly. Today, uh, the Holy Spirit's convicting work is based solely upon the finished work of Christ, the preaching of the cross. Today, the Holy Spirit reproves by the Pauline Revelation which clearly spells out to you and me that we all deserve judgment and the wrath of God and that God through His infinite mercy and grace is withholding wrath just another day so that someone else can be saved. Today the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is based solely upon the preaching of the cross. Solely upon the preaching of the cross. Instead of God pouring forth wrath upon this earth, God is pouring forth grace and mercy. And we're to go to people now and to beg them to be reconciled. Instead of alienation, as our brother pointed out, God has brought in a phase of reconciliation now, solely under grace. And the Holy Spirit now convicts the world 
through us by the love of Christ. And that instead of judgment, he bore our judgment in his own body upon the tree. And brethren, there is, might I add before I close, a very real usage today for the law. And it's found, we won't look it up, but it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. The law today can be used legally by a believer in one sense. And that is to show the unbeliever how far he has fallen from God's perfect standard. But you know what? The problem is that most churches leave it there. They preach about the law. They preach about God's justice and righteousness. The Reformed Church is, uh, does this well. But the problem is they leave it there. That's only half. Not even really half of the message. That's only the backdrop. We have to go on now to Calvary, don't we? And on to grace. And on, how, and on to how Christ fulfilled God's law. And how that He can become our substitute. So there is a very uh, legal usage, if I can put it that way, for the law today by members of the body of Christ. And that is to show people that they're sinners. And then afterwards to show them by the cross of Christ and His finished work how that Christ bore their sin uh, in His body upon the tree. Brethren, we live in a wonderful dispensation, don't we? In which uh, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the completed Word of God, the highest calling in the entire universe. As we were talking the other day, uh, do you realize that the five I wills of Satan, when he said, I will ascend, Above the stars, those five things that he sought for, we have by grace. And how Satan hates us. God is dealing now in the highest dispensation, the calling of grace, and it might end tonight. We might be sitting here in this church during the last day of this dispensation. And how the Lord ought to burden our hearts to get this message out to others. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank Thee so much that the Holy Spirit, along with God the Father and God the Son, have delayed judgment that was so rightfully deserving and are now working in the dispensation of grace to save wretched sinners our Father, we pray that we might get the message out to others and to beseech them and beg them to, be, to receive the reconciliation. And our Father, we pray as we have been privileged to listen to these messages by our brethren that they would inspire us to study and most of all to grow closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray in His name and for His sake. Amen. Well, I guess this is time for questions, and I hope I've stayed on schedule here. I know I didn't cover it that thoroughly. <laughs> Joel? In what sense can the Holy Spirit convict outside of the preaching?
Yes. I believe he does convict through creation still and through the conscience, according to Romans. But that's all it is, is a conviction of sin and of shame. It cannot, of course, lead to salvation. It never, well, I don't think it ever could. Possibly under the witness of the stars there was some way, but I don't know. Today I know that that cannot lead uh, to salvation. But, of course, I do believe if a person, uh, uh, well... I don't know if I'd say this or not. Uh, some people say, "Well, what if someone was, you know, had the conviction over in India or something, and was really thirsting for the Lord?" Well, if they were, the Lord gave them that thirst, and I do believe He's able to get a, a man over to them that would share the gospel with them. Ivan. Mm-hmm. Can you say anything more on the rest of that? Uh, let's see. Which part are you referring to there specifically? Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And righteousness, of course. Let's see. Of righteousness because I go to my Father, and of course that's after the ascension. Uh, so that ties in with the kingdom offer and the stoning of Stephen. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. Ah, is that what you're driving at? Well, I just wondered if I didn't remember any comments beyond the convicted Right, yeah. Well, of course, all three of them are necessary here. And uh, in Peter's address, I think these three were mentioned, or at least alluded to. And I, I thought about this idea that you brought up about the prince being the Lord here. I didn't say anything on that. I didn't want to get into that. <laughs> I, as Pastor Kathleen, are also breezed over things that I plan not to <laughs> bring up. I'd like to just add before I close possibly a, a part that I did forget to mention. I do believe that the conviction that the unbeliever experiences today is simply a small fraction of what he will realize to an intense degree in the lake of fire. You know, today there's a seared conscience amongst many unbelievers, and I think this is the mercy of God to some degree. 